This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. You don't have to wear a kippa, you can wear a ski hat. A Jew can wear a baseball hat. A Jew can tuck a sitzis. Has anyone here have sitzis tucked in? Yeah. Tucked in. Tucked in. No one has to know you're wearing sitzis. You can wear any colored shirt. You can grow a beard. You know, it's very in today with the, what are those dudes called? Hipsters. Hipsters. Grow beards. So you can like totally hide out that you're Jewish. But once you grow these babies, you can't maintain. You're just a Jew, and you know it, and you're proud, and you're saying it out loud, and you're, and you're, uh, you're in everybody's face with them, and uh, and you're just, and you don't even know you have them. You think I see my pairs? I mean, I have good peripheral vision, but it's not that good. I, I don't even see my pairs. My pairs are for you. How'd I do today, by the way? Did they come out okay? Enjoy them. I will not see them today. I never get to see my pants. I do. Uh, I come out of the mikveh every morning. I brush them straight, actually, because I have natural pants like this lady here, and uh, my hair is like almost the same as yours, more curly. And uh, so, if I don't brush them straight and put them together, like meaning one strand, so then I get like five pants on each side. I just get like five pants. I have perfect pants, but I have to put them. I have to at least. I have to introduce them to each other at the beginning of the day. So it's... And then they just curl up next to each other. Yeah, there are times, like if I'm surfing some country, I'll, I'll probably not even touch them the whole time. Uh, just let them, let them do their thing. Um, they, but what they are is a, they're, they're an assertion. They're an assertion of Judaism. They're an assertion there. Uh, are we rolling, by the way? Yeah. And we're talking about Jewish appearance today, Jewish appearance. Um, I don't apologize for being Jewish anywhere I go. I'm part of a tribe. They're tribal. <coughs> we all know, like, Native Americans don't have to apologize for anything they do. They can do whatever they want on their reservations, and it's none of our business, and it's none of the U.S. business. They have their own rules, their own laws on their ancestral lands. Well... We're the Jews. We're on our ancestral lands, and we do what we want. And we owe no apologies and no explanations to anybody. So that's one part of Pais. Um I made up the whole first part, but or my brother did. It was for my brother. You can't maintain. Um, and the uh, the other one is um, uh, peyot are an interesting. Uh, Thing to wear because they're also um, they're also a beautification of a commandment, but they're unique in that they're a beautification of a negative commandment. Normally, we beautify a positive commandment, like you have a positive commandment to make kiddush, you have a positive commandment to make havdalah, you have a positive commandment to uh, honor the Shabbat, you have a positive commandment to have a lulav and a netrog and you know the four cosmic vegetations of Sukkot. We have a positive commandment to make a sukkah, positive commandment to light Hanukkah candles. Right? We have these positive commandments. There we go beautiful. So I can make Kiddush in a Dixie cup, but I don't. I make Kiddush in a $150 Kiddush cup, silver, sterling silver, over a $150 plate, silver plate, to let it drip. Because this, And I'm going to overflow it. Even though it could be expensive wine, I'm just going to flow it over the top. Just, just saying, like, God, you're sending bounty into this house, and it's my life, and, 
um, pouring the wine like a king, you know. And uh, but it's beautification of a positive commandment. God, thank you for letting me serve you. Thank you for letting me get closer to you. Also, Hanukkah, I light a big menorah. On the Hanukkah, you could take one candle and light it every night. One candle. You did the mitzvah, but we beautify it by adding each night. We beautify it with menorahs, with beautiful menorahs. Sukkot, we, you can live under any thatched hut, but we make our thatched huts beautiful. There's a negative commandment that thou shalt not shave over the jawbone area. You're not allowed to shave over here. You're not allowed to cut anywhere around this. You're not allowed to make that round cut that's very in style today. I apologize if any of you did that. He's got that cut a little bit. But at least the sides are long enough. This is a good back. Um, anyway, but to cut one's hair down below the whatever, two millimeter length on the sides. You know how most kids have those cuts these days? It's the Q-tip top haircut. So the those haircuts are forbidden by the Torah. Um, it started, interestingly, it's one of the only trends I've ever seen that started with the Arabs. It, was, it started with the Arab, Arab teenagers, and it moved its way into the Jewish world, and now it's like all around the world. So it was a, and it's a very Nazi-style thing, because... You'll notice that any civilization that shaves over this area, or or might makes right more, you know, um, aggressive cultures, violent aggressive cultures. They all shave over that area. Hitler shaved over that area. The Vikings, the Mohawk, in, Mohawk Indians were hardcore warriors. The Yamamana, Yamamana, Yamamamo Indians of the South American rainforest also shaved there. And they're the ones you might have seen in National Geographic. They have like these mushroom top heads. Like their hair comes up like a mushroom from the middle. And they, uh, they're also hardcore warriors. It's a might makes right haircut. And my haircut, if you look at it, it's the exact inverse. It's actually the inverse of that haircut shaped here, grown here. It's, uh, sorry I'm mixing the two right now, but uh, what we went into, number one, is it's a tribal thing. It's us not giving a darn what anyone thinks of us. Two is uh, is that it's um, it's the beautification of a negative commandment. We don't do that very often. I don't know if there's. Can anyone think of another negative commandment that we beautify? Because the mitzvah is just not to shave. Like, look at this dude's lamb chops over here. Can you produce this, please? Um, see this dude's lamb chops? Just look this way. Give us a good profile. Okay, that, this guy has gorgeous lamb chops that go right over his jawbone perfectly. Everyone feel your jawbone. Make sure you got the hair on the jawbone. You girls don't have to worry about that. But his jawbone's here, the payas go below it. They're perfect. His payas and my payas are the same when it comes to the mitzvah. He did not fulfill it anymore. Yours are also fine. This dude here. Okay, this guy looks like... Turn it, give us a profile. Turn sideways a little. Oh, there He's got you go. nice little payas. They're thin. Uh, you wouldn't want to shave below that level. So if you are, if that's already a few days' growth in the future, get to the bottom of the jawbone and stop there. Okay. It's no problem, man. I'm just saying, like, if you're, when you're doing your beard and stuff, stop at the jawbone. Don't go over the jawbone. The jawbone has to stay with a little amount of hair. It's gorgeous, man. Yeah, show Yonatons. Let's see Yonatons. Whoa. Those are fabulous. Fabulous. Gotcha. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, but the, the and the, the uh, so the second point was the beautification of a commandment of a negative commandment. And I can't really think of another that we do that. But it's a strange thing to do. Thank you, God, 
for allowing me to serve you by not shaving that part of my hair. And the last is, um, the last is, uh, is that it's, uh, it's, a, it's the inverse of the might makes right culture, which means wisdom. We can work it out, like the Beatles said. We can work it out. We can work it out. We don't have to fight. We don't have to kill people. We can work it out. You know, we got wisdom. God gave us brains. God gave us wisdom. We can figure things out. We can come with strength into agreement with each other, which may include some compromise. Help these ladies get in here, please. About to run. I'll do it. Too shit. No, it's fine. Can you jump out of that spot and give him a table for two? Or yeah, either spot. That's what that window is for. But you're supposed to just walk in. It's actually a drop-in course, and you guys have fulfilled it more than anyone else. You dropped in totally. Their parachutes are outside. Now, okay, we got enough of payas. There's just one more thing I want to tell you about payas. What was I just saying? I was just in the middle of an important point. We can work it out. It's the inverse of might makes right. Yeah, whatever. You got that point. It's the inverse of might makes right, and it's uh, it's uh, about wisdom, and it's about peace. It's about uh, um, symbiotically living with your fellow human being. Um, and if you look at it, it gives you a more docile look. It's a more docile look. There's a sense, I'm not, I'm not going to be hurting anybody. Um, now, of course, I'm sure there's all kinds of weirdos who walk around with bayas who hurt people, but, the, um, but, it's, uh, but it is a more docile look. It almost looks a little bit like a, like a sheep, you know, or a goat. I kind of look like a goat <laughs> with these things. <laughs> And, you know, you can, you can even go, goats look a little scary. You can go up and pet them. They're not going to bite you. You know, there. And, uh, and we are the herd of Jacob. We're Jacob's herd. All the shepherding that Jacob does. Which parsha? Uh, that's parsha. Uh, in parsha's Vayetze, there's, uh, Yaakov's doing a lot of interesting breeding experiments. And the Kabbalists tell us that he's actually shepherding the Jewish people for the rest of history. He's a prophet, Yaakov. He's watching what the Jews are going to go through. He's basically shepherding the, the Jews to him for, under his protection, away from Lavan. Notice that? He's like shepherding sheep away from Lavan towards him. And the Kabbalists teach us that all that is the details of anti-Semitism and the, our history and what we went through. And obviously, he must have lost that at one point because the Holocaust, or this two Holocausts we had. And most people don't realize we've been through two Holocausts. We had, a, we had the, uh, no, the destruction of the First Temple. Destruction of the First Temple was a, a massive Holocaust, even greater proportions of destruction. And uh, I don't know if there's as many people killed. I can't seem to get the numbers. I've been trying to research the numbers of those killed. I know Jerusalem alone was over a million. That's just Jerusalem. Over a million. Oh, and they were non-combatants. So over a million non-combatants alone were killed just in this city. You know, so the, then we got the whole rest of the country, which went all the way up to Turkey, because Lebanon's a, a figment of the UN's imagination. Weren't they killed in the coming of Christ, too? You mean killed uh, killed by early Christians? 
There were issues. Not, not that much. Not, not any serious numbers. We lost it. We had a hard time with Christians years later, the 1400s, and various other horrific experiences we had. We've had no good times with Christianity. Next. Um, so that was that. Uh, the kippa. Kippa has to do with um, with awareness. Um, there's a, a certain level of uh, recognition of something above you when you wear a kippa, and without a kippa, it's it's there's a certain character of brazenness of. Uh, Of like I'm gonna do it my way type of thing is the is the lack of a kipa. I'm gonna do it my way, and the kipa is is this like I'm under something. I answer to a higher authority. That's this is like rec- remembering that I'm under a higher authority. The, that's the kipa's job. The higher authority is always watching over. It's also watching over, but it's 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 more of the humble. Could be reminding yourself that you're being watched, you're being watched over, you're being protected. Those are beautiful, but it's more about like, you know, you're not walking into that particular establishment wearing that, and you may not jaywalk in New York. You can jaywalk, but you might think twice about jaywalking in certain other countries with a keep on your head and certain uh, or uh, certain. Uh, Establishments you might not walk into with a keep on your head. <coughs> I certainly think about the keep on my head when I'm about to do something crazy in traffic. It's yeah. To take it off? I'd rather, I think I'd rather take it off than walk into a place and have everybody say, uh, look at this, look how he's acting. Yeah, so then it's a good time to put on another cap. Or a hat, yeah. Yeah, put on something else. To go without anything is dangerous. You gotta have something to remind you. Um, next, I'm almost. I'm gonna go to the women in a sec. Next is uh, the tzitzis. Uh, by the way, there's multiple meanings to keep us. Um, give you a couple examples here. Uh, I can, you can unplug it. I'll walk away from it. So can I just? Uh, can people uncover that keep us if they got keep us? So keep us mean things. So like. No, no, keep it on your head. Just I meant people wearing ski hats. So this here is a, this is a knitted black keeper, which is usually people who are more on the right wing and connected to, uh, they, they, they really agree with, uh, Kahana, who, uh, who said that if the, if the Jews don't take over the land totally and make it a Jewish state, and are, it is way back, like when, Palestinians were like villagers who were like, many were displaced, many weren't, but but had they just gone strong with them and made this land totally 100% Jewish, so then, uh, so then, it, they, basically what Kahana said was that it was going to become like a virus for the Jewish people if they, it's not going to work out well to be to be uh, accommodating to the Palestinians when they were here. Um, this cube over here is just like, a, this is just like uh, all it means is this guy loved this keeper and bought it. This keeper is also, I just love this keeper and I bought it. Um, this one also, I love this keeper and I bought it. And this keeper over here is, is that's like my keeper. And um, this keeper is, uh, <laughs> this guy's got to do it on his keeper, which is cool. 
Okay. He also just loves it. Um, so a velvet keeper without anything on it is, uh, if it doesn't have this little band, you see this little side band here. Anyway, with the side band means you're a, a yeshiva, Torah study, Haredi kind of guy. He's got one too. Yeah. And uh, and then it, without the band means you're like, you're part of the, you're like, uh, you're Haredi friendly, part of the Haredi world, but you're not necessarily like, going to be learning Torah for the rest of your life. Um, we're going to be pretending to be learning Torah for the rest of our life. Just um, I'm not going to go into more of that, but there, there are some other meanings to other kippahs, but I didn't notice any in the room. Uh, back to our, our show. Um, the next is just sitsis. We're not going to go deep into sitsis, but sitsis are, are to remind a person of the, um, the commandments they're to be worn on four-cornered garments, and anytime a Jew is wearing a four-cornered garment, a male Jew is wearing a four-cornered garment, um, he has to have tzitzis on it. So the only time a Jew would ever have to worry about this is if he was wearing a poncho from Mexico. And when's the last time you saw a Jew walking around in a poncho? But a Jew can't just put on a poncho and walk around. If he puts on a poncho, he's got to put tzitzis on it. And I actually have dear friends, high paid dollar band, um, who... Um, they actually wear ponchos. I don't know if they still do now that they're all married with families, but but they used to wear ponchos everywhere they went. And but that was always because they play concerts longer than most bands, and they usually like shut the place down with their music until like there's no one left, and then they just lay down under their poncho. They're wearing a blanket for everywhere they go. Um, shall I tell a, a story of them? Please. I don't think I should. <laughs> you want to start? Well, there was there was one time where uh, we were in a very fancy hotel, and because I was I'm the rabbi of the band, I invited the band to be part of the to be the entertainment Motzei Shabbat for this major convention. And the band came in, it was a great show. Of course, they overplayed as usual until like two in the morning. Now, at around one in the morning, uh, a very wealthy businessman who's a student of mine came up to me and says. Rav Yomtov, this is in the Catskill Mountains. He says, Rav Yomtov, take these keys, take the honeymoon suite. My wife and I decided to go home. And so I'm like, go. So I go, I go to find my wife. She's nowhere around. I found her in our room, and I'm like, hey, we got the honeymoon suite. She's like, I'm, I'm asleep. Go away. <laughs> so I walk down with the honeymoon suite keys. I'm like, what a waste. I get down to the bandstand where they're playing for like three last people who are willing to listen to them. And the uh, and the the band comes up to me and they're like, Yom Tov, Rebbe, it's two in the morning. We don't want to drive back to New York, you know, back to town. And I'm like, honeymoon suite, <laughs> take these keys. So they took the keys. They went up to the honeymoon suite with their band manager. And um, what happened was that uh, they partied the rest of the night in there, big time. And uh, the next morning. They had to do not disturb sign on, but but check out was eleven. It's twelve. It's one. It's two. People are banging on the doors like the housekeeper's knuckles are bleeding, trying to get in there. And they they finally brought security in around two to thirty, and they go in, and they find the whole band with the band manager, buck naked, <laughs> in the honeymoon bathtub with a big hookah pipe. On the island, 
the bathtub with all of their feet up on the island, <laughs> completely passed out. The whole, the whole game. <laughs> the housekeeper, of course, screamed and they all jumped. You know, the hookah pipe falls in the bathroom and then. And, and uh, of course, once again, almost every time we were together, I would get a phone call. You know, from some organization. This time it was Asia Torah, because it was the Asia Torah convention. And I get a call going like, did you give the band the honeymoon suite? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. What band? <laughs> anyway, back to clothing. <coughs> um, anyway, the tzitzis are there to... Uh, to you like my stories. The sits are said there to remind you to do the right things, which means don't smoke cocoa with a bunch of naked men. Okay. Now, the uh, the sits are there to remind you to do to do the right thing, and they remind you that God is God, and they remind you that your the mitzvahs are incumbent upon you. They remind you you're married. They remind you that the person you're thinking of doing something with is is either someone else's spouse or is going to be and it's disrespectful just like you wouldn't want anyone doing anything with your wife why would you ever want to do something with someone's future wife someone's wife and and you expect your wife to be honored you know you expect your wife to give you honor someday when you're not honoring other people's wives you know you want other people to honor your wife on other people's wives, even though they're not married yet. So, the um, that's all. Um, that's about sitsis. Want a story about sitsis? Yeah. It's too radical to tell in the co-ed place. I'm not going to. Is it her. worse than the last one? Yes. And it's from the Talmud, but women generally don't learn Talmud for a good reason. It's to not hear the story I didn't tell. Now, why do you embarrass somebody with sitsis? What? Why do you, you don't actually? You you uh, you cover them with a talit for the burial, and then right when they put the body in the ground, you pull the talit out. Um, now it could be in other places. They do. I'm just I only know Jerusalem funerals. So and it could be anyone. When it stays, they cut off the strings. And they bury them. Ah, so he says they cut off the actual tzitzis and then. That's strange. Don't know. That's something I can't answer. Let's go to um, sneers for men regarding a, a modest dress for men. Uh, men are are allowed to wear um, are allowed to wear basically anything they want. They mainly have to keep their private parts covered. Uh, but the rule of thumb for men is not to wear anything that you wouldn't want someone knowing you were wearing. So, for example, if a man wears boxer shorts in his house only um, and he'd be embarrassed if people knew that he'd be like meaning if someone was brought into his living room and he's kicking back in his boxer shorts and he would be embarrassed and he would go put something on he should not be wearing boxer shorts even in his living room is that understood? whatever you wouldn't be embarrassed in so like for example I wear, I'll wear an undershirt in my house I wear my tallest cotton over it and I wear these Hasidic long white boxers. They're, they're called gachkis. Uh, in America, they're called gachkis. And in Israel, they're called gatkis. So I wear my gatkis. And 
Now, there are people who would never be seen in their gutkas in their house, so they're not allowed to wear their gutkas in their house. Even if they want to go get a quick cup of water in the kitchen, they can't. They can't but I personally, I would sit with the chief rabbi of Israel in my gutkas, <laughs> uh, sitting in my house. I have no issues whatsoever being in my gutkas on a hot summer day, you know, kicking back in my house. But I don't naturally do that, obviously. I mean, I'm, like, I'm not doing that, but to go get a glass of water or to... To go, like, uh, answer the door. <laughs> I, don't, I don't answer the door, my God, but, but I probably would. I just, maybe in deference to my neighbors. <laughs> Some little girl from the neighbor's house, you know. They need a cup of sugar. You know, there's Rabbi Glazer and his God. <laughs> anyway. Um, but other than that, men, it's pretty liberal what they wear. Um but there is a sense of modesty. Now, there's an argument amongst the men's side. Sorry, there's an argument amongst in modest dress of whether it's relative or whether it's uh, objective. Sorry, subjective or objective. If you hold it's objective, and then a man should wear, no matter where he is, what he'd wear in front of the king, which is where we always are. But, like, let's say in uh, public, how you dress in public. If a man should always dress that way, that means that he now has to hike in his suit. Now, has anyone ever been on a tiul in Israel and you saw Haredim hiking in suits and hats? I have. It's fun to watch. I try to bring a little extra water just for them because they won't wear a backpack. You know, so they need a little extra water sometimes. So it's good when you hike in Israel to bring a little extra water to the people who believe that modest dress for men is men and women is objective. Any ladies been to a, an observant beach and found women that were wearing their dresses at the beach and in the water, which is a hazard for swimming and possible drowning? Um, yeah, so a few people raised their hands. They believe sniut, or from now we're going to call it sneas. Uh, what I mean is modest dress, yes, is they believe it's subjective or objective? Objective. While everyone else at the beach believes it's subjective, and so since they're at an all-women's beach in a situation where where no one's seeing their body, they uh, they would wear a bathing suit at that beach. Whereas, uh, and the men too, uh, you'll see, uh, you'll see, sometimes at the men's beach, you'll see men in suits at the beach. Um, or though they might go if they're going in the water, they're going to bathing suit and wear like a t-shirt or something, just to cover up their skin. That's the objective. But a lot of objective, modest dressers don't go to the beach at all. So kola kavod to the ladies who wear dresses at the beach. It's better than no beach. At least they're there. Yeah. Uh, now regarding uh, regarding women's sneas, so the uh, as far as the clothing is concerned, it's the uh, the places to cover are are elbows, knees. And collarbones, and everything in between—elbows, knees, collarbones, everything in between. That's that's basically where it's at. Um, uh, women are, are uh, not every woman dresses like that, and she's certainly not to feel judged at all in that. She, she's when it comes to clothing with women, you can never judge. Women and clothing are like they have an intimate relationship with clothing, and, and you just can't mess with it. You just can't mess with it. And you never know what a woman's doing when she uh, takes on something. I'll give you an interesting story. My wife, when she became observant, she wore um, dresses all the way down. Like, she she was like, she loved it. Because coming from a secular background, where you're expected to show your body, 
to come into an observant lifestyle where you're you're now um, you're you get to take your body back from the public. Your body is not public property, and it's and certainly people's eyes do not belong on you. It's your body, not everyone else's. And so she was so excited to cover up her whole body. And what happened was, we uh, were part of a synagogue in Meisharim called Karlin. And uh, and it's it's in Meisharim. It's like super Hasidic. And, and she was oh, she also would never uh, cover her hair with a wig. She would only wear, you know, a, a mitpachada, a scarf, or some other hair head covering that would not be another woman's hair. And uh, she was getting hassled by our dear friends there that she wasn't dressed sneezely. She wasn't dressed modestly. Why? Because they said the women that here, they go in wigs and they go in um, higher-up dresses. They wear their dresses, you know, about halfway up their leg, their lower part of their leg. So my wife's like, what could be more sneeze than my long dress? You don't see any of the leg. And they're like, no, it's exactly that. You're the one drawing attention. Our community wears till here, and you're the one walking out of the synagogue who's like, you're the one who's noticeable because of your longer dress. And I remember my wife, she was like sewing up her dresses. And in a way she was like, she wasn't crying, but in a way she was like crying. Sewing up, maybe she was crying. I don't remember, it was a long time ago. But she was sewing up her dresses to show more of her legs to not be standing out amongst the crowd of women in our synagogue. Isn't that interesting? So Tzniyas, in this case, was showing more as opposed to covering more because it was about standing out. Okay. It's, it's a very interesting, this whole thing. about. I can't get my head around the whole showing legs thing, meaning... Meaning, why would some of the most sneeze people in the world have to show their legs? Why shouldn't the most sneeze people in the world not have to show their legs? Why, why is the form of their legs so important? And then they get into this whole, uh, I'm not going to go deep into this, but there's a whole crazy mishugas on, on what color the stockings are, thickness, <laughs> sheen, like the whole, there's like, oh, I mean, it's a lingo I would never even understand. I can, I'm not even going to try to get it. But, uh, but like all of that, Mishugas could just be bypassed with longer skirts. But, uh, whatever. I, I don't even know how to get started with that. Um, regarding hair covering, um, the, the prohibition is not for married women. It's not that a married woman has to cover her hair. Now we get your question. Not that a married woman has to cover her hair. It's a married woman who's already consummated her marriage with her husband. They've already had intimacy. That's the woman who has to cover her hair. See, a lot of people think it's a married woman who has to cover their hair. And, uh, and, but really, uh, a married woman can dance the night away on her wedding night, where she was married in the, in, with the witnesses of the whole community. Everyone knows she's married, so she's a married woman. woman but, but she's allowed to dance the whole night with her hair showing. Many women today opt not to do that, and uh, it's probably smarter not to. Because once a woman covers her hair... Her hair becomes like her hair becomes like her nakedness. They they wouldn't be caught dead having anyone see their hair, including their own children. Their spouse, they're fine. But anyone else, they don't want anyone seeing their hair. And so the problem is they don't want to show their wedding album to anybody. 
it just freaks them out to show their wedding album. So I've, I've my, my, our wedding album is locked away because of this, and many other people's are as well. So listen, if someone's modern orthodox and she's going to cover her hair, but she's just never making a big deal about sneas to begin with, so then enjoy your wedding night. But if, you, if you're the type of person who's probably growing into becoming more towards the Haredi community, so it's better to cover your hair with something at the wedding night so so that you'll be comfortable with everyone seeing your photo album, watching the video. You know, my wife doesn't want anyone watching the video either. So it's like kind of a waste, all the pictures and the videographer. <coughs> so if you find yourself going that direction or you're already in the Haredi direction, um, you're not going to want anyone seeing your hair and from when you were single. Unless, of course, you have some big ego issue and you want everyone seeing your hair uh, from your single times, which there are such women like that, too. Yeah? I have a question. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's your hair. God gave you the hair, you know, for what? To hide it? We're getting there. We're getting there. Because, man, we, exactly don't, we don't cover our hair, you know, if we choose to. <laughs> yeah, you know, but That's right. We're going to talk about that now. Um, so, so what is the point? The point is, uh, I mean, what is the point of the fact that a woman doesn't have to cover her hair on a wet night, but does, but in the next morning, you see her hair is covered? So the answer is, is that when you look at society, secular and observant society, it looks like it's male-dominated. Like, it looks male-dominated. you got the rabbis are leading, you know, the president's a, a man, the, uh, the prime minister's a man, you know. It's just like, I mean, there's been exceptions, but there are few exceptions. Generally, you see men are running a lot. Men are running most companies. Uh, it's, uh, men run, run the household. The father, if he's a good man, I mean, today, who knows who's running a household in 2017, but the husband hopefully has worked out his stuff and is not a little boy, but he's actually the captain of the ship. At the house, he's calling the shots. The wife is deferring to him to show the kids the honor towards their father. Um, so what happens is a girl grows up in a male-dominated world that looks like it's men are running the show. But what happens on the wedding night with the intimacy is she realizes that, that she's actually running the world. That the, the woman on, uh, during intimacy, the woman realizes the power she has. Now, of course, today we're in a totally different society. Women know their power way before they're married. And so maybe, maybe single girls should cover their hair because we're going to answer your question in a second maybe single girls should be covering their hair because it's not like old times where a girl only realized that night her power but uh, women have tremendous power and women really in the bottom line are running the show as they say behind every great man is a surprised woman <laughs> and the, the behind every great man is a great woman and, and, the, and the women really are running the world now what does hair have to do with? What does hair have to do with running the world? Um, women's hair is is there. There's something about the hair of a woman that is her sensuality. I can't say why. I can't explain that. But the sensuality of a woman's of a woman is her hair. She knows that the, the trillions of marketing, the trillions of dollars in marketing, know it. The uh, it's just the way it is. You'll notice, how do you know, women are much better at checking out men before, without getting caught than men. Men who check out a woman generally will get caught much quicker than a woman. Women check out a man way before the men got a chance to even check out the woman. 
And, but how does a man know? How does a man know that he got checked out? How do you know? You missed it. You'll miss it most times. The answer is that the second she finishes checking out a man, which can be a fraction of a second, it's a millisecond, they, she'll immediately touch her hair. She cannot not touch her hair after she does that. She, she, her hand will go straight to her hair if she looks at a man. So it's it, that's what I'm saying. Like I can't explain it. I don't have the dictionary definition of the sensuality of hair, but it's a known fact that the woman's sensuality is her hair. Now, so like you're saying, so what? You know, like okay, hair, great, let let it let it flow. You know, let it flow. So the answer is yes. For single women, let it flow. Let it be. Now, in the very Haredi circles, women do not wear their hair down. Uh, meaning girls, single girls, wear their hair. And they tie their hair up. They, keep their, they, don't, they don't let it all flow like that. They keep their... In the Haredi circles, they, they uh, keep their hair... Um, in a, I have to make all the ladies self-conscious in the room. Because I'm saying all kinds of stuff. Collarbones, hair. Like, the, um, all of them are like, So... This is an amazing class. <laughs> Whose idea was this? <laughs> in the world are we talking about this? Anyway. But, for example, my daughters will not, will not wear their hair open in, uh, in public. In the house, they don't wear it open either, unless, you know, it's like bedtime or something. Um, the... The, the reason is... The sensuality of a woman's hair regarding men is the man's problem. It's not the woman's problem. And that's why single girls are allowed to wear their hair out. You understand? Single women are allowed to wear their hair out. It's not a man's problem. And you want to know the truth? The married woman who wants to break this, this law of wearing their hair out, which we learned from the Torah, um, I, if a married woman wanted to break that and wear her hair open, meaning without a covering, it's also her, not. It's also the man's problem, not her problem. You know, she, okay, she's blown it, but she'll deal with God for that. But the man's got his own problem. Why? Because we see in Jewish law, single women are allowed to show their hair. So whose problem is that? It's the man's problem. It's the man's problem. And we do not make women do something because the man might have a problem. You see that single women are allowed in Me'asharim, to go with their hair uncovered. So we know in the, even the most intense communities, women who are single are allowed to have their hair uncovered. So it's not... Everyone wants to... All those people, who, you know, especially in the secular and leftist world that knows about Orthodox Judaism, they love to point fingers and say, yeah, those women are being oppressed by the men. They have to cover their hair. It's totally not true, because you see that men have to take care of their issue when it comes to all the single girls. They have to take care of their own issues. Now, and anyway, I just want to drive that point home. Um, the reason why married women have to cover their hair is because of the ego. Once a married woman, or not a married woman, once a woman realizes her power over the male half of, the, of humanity, once a female realizes her power over the male half of humanity, the reason she has to cover her hair, listen carefully, is because the power and ego that comes from 
showing her because now that she knows that she can make every man melt if she chooses to even the most powerful men are, are easily seducible the, uh, once she realizes that then she has become very powerful her ego now has gotten a major boost now we're switching gears we were put one second we were put here on earth to have a relationship with God I'm going to give you a principle that is a universal principle in every spiritual tradition on earth including Judaism and that is that one's ego and God are um, I mean your ego and your relationship with God are at conflict they cannot simultaneously exist wherever you are God is not and wherever you aren't God fills your, your self image your ego is like a cup if the cup is full or half full you see how much room there is for God in there and if the cup is empty because you're constantly working on your humility so then you feel God's presence in your life you're, you're fulfilling the purpose of creation what's the purpose of creation? relationship with God what's the purpose of, rela- of, what's the purpose of creation everybody? Relationship with God. What's the biggest thing that gets into the way of your relationship with God? Your ego. You probably think Avera, sins, transgressions. No. Because what causes transgressions? The ego. The ego. Because think about it. If you do something wrong, what are you saying? I'm more important than God. I know better. I know better than God. I know better than Rambam. I know better than Rebbe Akiva. I know better than, than, uh, than the Vilna Gon. I know better than Moses. Every time you do something wrong, you're making a major statement. And that's that you know better. What, now, who in the world would walk around thinking they know more than the Rambam? They know better than Rabbi Akiva. They know better than Hillel and Shammai. They know better than the thousands of holy Jews that have lived throughout history, better than Moses, better than God himself. Who in the world would do that except for someone who's having an ego inflation problem? Now, by the way, don't think I'm here to blame anybody for their ego, because the only reason we have ego is because we think we're a bunch of garbage. Any person you'll see flaunting ego thinks he or she is a bucket of refuse. A bucket of scrap. Without the S. Okay? And now, what are they doing? In order to deal with that, they're buying a Maserati, or they're wearing their hair like this, or they're going to dress like that, or they're going to... You understand that every time you see someone flaunting something, you should not look down on them, and you should not hassle them for thinking they're smarter than the Rambam. They're not thinking they're smarter than the Rambam. They're dealing with a gash, like a a gaping 50-stitch emergency room wound. They have a horrific wound. And everyone they meet is holding a bag of salt. And so they think if they could only dominate with their looks or dominate with their behavior or dominate with some kind of (coughs) something, with some knees, elbows, or cleavage, they and and for the men with some muscles or some great car or, or a fancy watch, that if they can somehow dominate with that, they'll be okay. But anyone with even the smallest understanding 
of psychology, a small misunderstanding. I'm talking like almost no need to understand much in psychology knows already that that person is just seeking some sense of recognition, of noticeability, significance. The problem is they're doing it in a counterfeit way. Because what do you want to be known for? The way your hair flows? You want to be known for your watch? You want to be known for a Maserati? Every single human being you will ever meet wants to be known for how beautiful they are inside. But if you think you're, if you're inside, you're a bucket of scrap. If inside, you're a bucket of scrap. So then you're going to be stuck with the counterfeit. You're stuck with it. You're, you've been relegated to being noticed for skin, hair, possessions, dwelling places, nice homes. To me, the fancier I see someone or the more a woman is dressed down or the nicer the watch or the fancier the car, the more I see a starving Ethiopian with a distended belly and a swollen skull, toothpick arms and flies flying around their face. My heart goes out to them. And if you see it any differently than that, then you've got to get your eyes checked. You don't need a degree in psychology to get this. This is very simple stuff. And that's the beauty of Judaism. Is it's telling us that we were made in the image of God. We're holy. God doesn't make garbage. And this is why, as I said yesterday, every Jew must be born twice. Because how you know yourself to be based on your background, some of the stuff's great, so keep it. But a lot of that stuff's garbage. And, and as they say in my... my my black friends in America say, what? Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that, and that's why every human being has to be born again. And that's the birthing process that I do in the Possible Youth Seminar. The whole Possible Youth Seminar is just to birth yourself again. But I have so many graduates, men and women, who look at their Rolex watches now, or they look at their $3,000 shapeless, and they're just like, they want to... Uh, like, what do I need that for? I don't need that. Now, there's certain standards in their community. They're marrying off children. They're not going to drop the standards of the community. They keep the standards of the community, but I'm not playing into that stuff. No, thank you. They're done with it. And you know how much money they save? They save a lot of money. It's funny, I'm taking my wife on this vacation for two days. and she, The whole vacation, no matter what money I spend, she's kind of like feeling really good about it because she knows that my ideal vacation would be like... It would be like a tent on the sand or maybe in the mountains and a couple beach chairs and then like some raw food. And like, okay, I would spend money on some craft beer. There's not a lot of it. My wife doesn't like beer. Get her a bottle of Zinfandel, you know, which is like what's that, twenty-five shekels. I bring the glasses from home, and I could stay there for several days, and come home, and the only money I spent was on gas, really, just to drive and drive back. And I feel like a king. I feel like a king because she makes me feel like a king. She's my queen. But meanwhile. She would kill me if I did that. <laughs>
so so what's fun about our vacations is every shekel I'll spend over the next 48 hours on her, which will be, please God, a handsome amount of expenditures are totally 100% for her to honor her. You know what I mean? Because I mean, she, she knows I, I don't need nothing. I, I gave up on that years ago when I was raised by my two housekeepers and saw that they were happier than my parents. And I learned great lessons growing up in that house. All the other people were driving their Mercedes to their psychologists and getting medicated for depression. Now, um, uh, back to our story, is that the ego and God, the ego and relationship with God are in conflict. They can never be together. They can't go together. (coughs) And so because of a woman's power, her modesty is ten times more important. Not because of the men. Men, that's their problem. We know that with single girls. That's the man's problem. It's for her and her relationship with God. Because God created the world for relationship with humanity. And if her ego is going to wipe out her relationship, and the ego really only kicks in once she sees her power over the seemingly dominant males... Once she realizes her true power, she covers her hair because that's the place of her sensuality. That's where she gets the men. Watch, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to watch TV, and I imagine, I haven't watched television in so many years, I can't believe it, but I I remember in the old days watching television as a kid growing up that the... That the I couldn't I always thought, and I think I even asked my parents once, why is every commercial a hair commercial? And my parents were like, it's not a hair commercial, it's a car commercial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's a hair commercial. Watch watch her hair, watch and then there's another commercial for another car. And watch that lady's hair. And it's a hair commercial. And they're like, no, it's a car commercial. And and they watch. I mean, go see TV. I imagine, has, has anyone seen TV in the last few years? I heard TV is like less important nowadays. Mm-hmm. Is that right? TV has kind of gone out of style a little bit. Live TV. No, it's on the internet. Live TV. TV still important? So, uh, but yeah. is hair still on the, every commercial? I mean, I watch sports. Yeah. You know, hair is still on the commercials? Lots of hair? NASCAR. Why create the ego if it's gone? Why would that create something? Whoa. The million-dollar question. Why did God create the ego? Let me tell you something, young man. Your ego's a figment of your mind. There was no way for God to create us without minds. But sometimes minds run out of control. If you could get your mind under control and let it only report to you, your mind's supposed to report to you. Like, you're in Jerusalem right now, thank you, mind. Say thank you. Everyone say thank you, mind. Okay, you ready? You're in Jerusalem right now. Thank you, mind. You're uh, being kept uh, warm by your clothing. Thank you, mind. You're in a classroom with Rabbi Glazer. Thank you, mind. Thank you, mind. Okay? Your mind tells you these things. You walked in here with actual walking skills. Your mind, that was only your mind that got you to do that. If your mind wasn't doing its job, you'd run straight into that doorpost. Okay? You um, walked, uh, you, to get here, you had to walk down some stairs. Thank you, mind. 
But the thing is, is your mind, because of its tremendous, um, its tremendous advanced ability, and when it goes unchecked, as most of us forget, we're thinking most of the time. You think like sixty thousand thoughts a day, thirty, forty, fifty. I don't know. It's when you go online, it's like it's a crazy argument of what's how many thoughts you have a day. But let's just say you think fifty thousand thoughts a day. Most of those thoughts are going totally unchecked. So you, after a while, you think you are the thoughts. You are not your thoughts. Everyone say, "I am not my thoughts." I'm not my thoughts. But what happens is because your thoughts are going unchecked by you, it is so easy for your thoughts to start developing what are called thought forms. Thought forms that are about you. That's the ego. So God had to give us a mind. Without a mind, we'd all be like, I don't know what we'd be doing. I don't know what we'd be doing. We have to have a mind. We'd be mindless. <laughs> We'd be mindless. So you want a mind, but what has happened is your mind has run out of control. It's gone out of control with you. And by the way, right now I'm speaking about us as individuals, like your mind's been out of control until you get it back in check and realize you're the awareness of your thinking, not your thinking. Everyone try that? I'm the awareness of my thinking. The awareness of my thinking. Not my thoughts. I have thoughts, but I'm not the thoughts. Thoughts report to me. But what I'm talking about is on an individual level. But this is going on globally. There are nations with their own thought forms. And they are nations that neighbor those nations or are thousands of miles away with their thought forms. And what happens is, you'll notice with your own ego, with your thought forms, you'll notice with your own thought forms, you have to defend them. Because think about it, most of your thought forms are something about how ugly you are, or how stupid you are, or how, how worthless you are, or how unlovable you are. Most of those thought forms are all kinds of negative voices. And so what do you do? You create other thought forms of how pretty, or how, like, how smart, or how like, rich, or how handsome, or beautiful. Like You have all these other th- thought forms to, uh, all these other thought forms to make up for those thought forms. But here's the thing, and here's, here's the main point, is that now you have to defend the thin mask thought forms, how rich I am, how special, how, how handsome or sexy I am. You have to mask those thought forms. Sorry, you have to defend those thought forms from threats of other people breaking those thought forms down. So you have to live your life in total vigilance, Sometimes even offensively, most of the time defensively. And that's the source of war. Because every nation has their own thought forms. A nation is just the individual in group form. So nations have thought forms about what it is to be an Israeli, or what it is to be an American, or a Canadian, or a Ukrainian, or a Crimean, or a, uh, or a Russian. They have thought forms. And now those thought forms are, are fake, stupid, veiled, Thin as, thin as paper thought forms. Tap some, during the Iran-Iraq war, tap some Iraqi on the shoulder and, while he's like over the border with his machine gun and ask him like, excuse me, Mr. Iraqi, what if you were born like 500 yards over there and that's you were born in that village, what would you be doing right now? He'd be like, oh my gosh, I'd be killing myself. What am I doing? And he'd drop his gun and realize what an idiot he is. What idiots we are. And what idiots we are for having negative thought forms about ourselves. What a stupid thing to do. 
and then have to have your little mask that you have to walk around vigilantly, sometimes offensively, like I'm going to go dominate that party, or I'm going to, that's the offense, or I'm going to defensively shut down and not say a peep at the party, or maybe I'll get some alcohol so I can say something at the party. All this to defend some stupid lie about yourself that it wasn't even true to begin with. You're really amazing, created in the image of God. You're awesome. That's going on nationally. And sometimes it's offensive, and they and Russia moves into Crimea and, and kills a bunch of uh, Ukrainians. And then Ukraine's going to fight back defensively. All over these random narratives, random thought forms, stupid little narratives called nationalism. And our prayers say every Rosh Hashanah, that all the nations of the world should stop their stop their ridiculousness and take off their uniforms and be one. And serve God with one heart. This video is going to be streamed on shiurenjoyment.com, S-H-I-U-R, shiurenjoyment.com, for people who have only kosher internet. And um, and it's, uh, also there was some other commercial I was going to tell you. I don't remember what it was, but uh, but... Let the tour begin. It's men only mission. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.